Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. This is a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have interesting things going on. This episode was frequently interrupted by tiny children, dogs, and doorbells. This is just an occupational hazard of podcasting. Usually, I like to let episodes just be natural and not edit things out. But in this case, there were a number of interruptions and that sort of forced me to do a little bit more editing than ordinarily I would like to do so. That being said, it is just an absolute delight to be able to post another episode with Leanne Oaks, who is doing many creative and innovative things that serve many, many people. Enjoy. Lee Ann Oaks is the co-owner of Level Up STEM KC. She also teaches AP Statistics and Math at St. James Academy in Lenexa, Kansas. She's lived in St. Louis, North Carolina, and Kansas City, and she has taught at a wide variety of schools. I interviewed Leanne before about her dynamic family life. Leanne and her husband, Robert, have six kids. That was enlightening, and I recommend that you check it out. But I'm also excited by her Level Up STEM KC. I love it when creative people make helpful, profitable businesses. Level Up STEM KC addresses what appears to be a big need. Friends, here is Lee Ann Oaks. Hi, Leanne. Hey, Tim. I have so many questions to ask you about your business, what made you think of it, how you have time for it, how you promote it, and where you would like to take it next. But let's just start with the basics. What exactly does Level Up STEM KC do? So, so Level Up STEM goes into schools and provides a comprehensive um, technology and computer science um, curriculum for kids starting um, from kindergarten all the way through through high school. Okay, why why would schools need that? Yeah, so that's really where we kind of came up with um, this idea. So my husband, um, Rob, has been doing um, after school, like robotics, engineering, coding kind of clubs um, at our kids' school for for maybe like five or six years now. And um, we just really see that there's a a deficiency there. Um, We also see that... um, like, like there's a huge problem between teaching, like, I think what people think of when they think of tech ed right now is like, we're going to teach kids how to use technology. And that's not a bad thing. But like, my three year old can pick up my iPad and do a lot of stuff. Okay, on the iPad, like, we don't need to teach kids as much how to use technology as we need to teach them how to make their own, um, how to be creative with it, how to move past just user mentality. Um, but the problem is, is we don't have teachers who are able to do that. Like that's, that's not reasonable for, you know, someone with an elementary ed or even a tech ed degree to really get to the point where they're helping kids create authentic technologies. Um, And so 
that's where our company comes in because my husband being an in industry as an engineer is seeing um, how he kind of from a top-down approach how we can really make things authentic and and really partner with schools to, to bring something that it's just not fair for people to ask us to figure out as teachers to figure out how to teach kids in the classroom and online and do all these things and then again be try to keep up with all the technology advances that is happening that's just that's just not reasonable um, to ask to ask teachers to do that when when we have resources in our community that could help us well I have so many questions to ask I, I guess I'll just start with what is an authentic technology and why do we have to create it okay so like Oh gosh, I hope I don't, you know, like step up on anybody's toes or anything, but like, okay, grabbing a technology that already, that already exists and say like, okay, like let's use Photoshop to like make a new graphic or whatever. Okay, great. Like that's awesome. But like, like what, what are you, what, I mean, I guess you could go into like graphics design and do something like that, but that's still not really like creating like an actual technology. Like you're still not creating it. Um, you're just using it. And so, um, but like what we do is we are teaching kids how to code. We're teaching kids how to create um, 3D objects, which they can actually print. We're teaching kids how, um, how to go beyond kind of just like using something and, and creating something to um, maybe, maybe making their own video games. Like that's one of our um, really popular summer camps that we typically do that we weren't able to do this summer. And it's one of my favorites to teach um, because you're getting kids that are like seven and eight years old that are writing lines and lines and lines of code. They've created themselves to come up with their own game. Like that's, way better than just playing somebody else's game. That's pretty <laughs> incredible to me. And, and I feel like I'm getting your point that, okay, so your three-year-old can pick up the iPad or maybe the iPhone and can actually do quite a lot. And they're just three. So we can imagine what a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old could do with those devices. I mean, well, after all, they were designed by the company to be intuitive you know, to be easy for people to right. use. But I guess you're trying to point out that, you know, if, if we're spending a lot of time just using things that already exist, then we're probably not going to reach the pinnacle of any profession because we're, ne we're never going to be on the cutting edge. We're not going to be on the creative portion. Or even if I'm just working for a garden variety engineering company as an adult someplace, like maybe we're building more office buildings, Okay. But you're right. still going to run across all kinds of unique and original problems with every single building that you put up because you have a different yeah. geography, a different climate. Um, buildings are going to be different sizes. They're going to have different heating and cooling needs. Even, even these buildings where we have millions of them, each new building is its own special snowflake, so to speak. So people are going to need to know how to... I guess, be more creative in those situations. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, like, if we're always just teaching kids how to use current technologies, they're always going to be behind. Like, we're never going to be in schools. 
like, this isn't necessarily like a knock, but like, we're never going to be cutting edge. Like that's not, that's not where our powerhouse is. Like our powerhouse, you know, has to do with, you know, either it's for me, it's, it's math, which is not a lot changing. Um, but really helping kids. How can I, like, it's really about relationships and developing, um, you know, helping them think more through those things. And that's really, really important, but that's not, that's never going to, that's not cutting edge. Like, and so we, we have to get past this, like, oh, we're teaching the kids how to use this technology as if that technology is still going to be, you know, existing or relevant, existing or relevant by the time they get out of school. Like that's ridiculous. But, and, and, and you know, they might not be using the same programming language that, that we teach them in five years, but they understand the logic behind it and they can, they can kind of transfer that to whatever is new coming up. It's just, it's just very different than, than kind of what, what we're seeing right now. I don't know, sweetie. No. Big <laughs> He's asking where the big Lego sword is. Okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. You're gonna have to ask. Oh, I think it's on the. Is it on the island? I see something on the island. I don't know. You'll have to look. So, so yeah, that's kind of how. Um, I think that's different than what we see now. And I, good job. But I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's appropriate personally for me, for, for as teachers, for us to expect, well, I've been teaching for 15 years and my experience is valued, but that somehow I'm supposed to also be keeping up with all the newest things. Like that's just not, that's just not really possible. Possible. You go ask Michael, go ask Michael and Caleb. They know where it is. No, it's quite all right. Maybe I'll leave all that in. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's why it's, it's, um, it's different. Um, the other thing that that's really, really, really important for Rob and I is that this is a, our goal is to be in schools so that every single kid is getting this. That this is not about an after-school club for 20 kids who are already interested. This is not a summer camp for 20 kids who are already interested. This is what we can give every single kid in the school. Um, not because every kid needs to decide to do this for their life, but to give every kid just the opportunity to find out if it's something that, that they like. Um, I know that um, some schools do have it as electives in middle school, but again, um, I think that's just like such a small portion of their, of their population. Like I think all students can benefit from this, um, especially from like a math perspective. I love, 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 love what I see in these classrooms. So, um, it's it's gonna help other other areas as well. I think it's a great. And that's another. 
Go ahead. That's another thing that we do also is we also pair with other teachers, like whether it be their science teacher or their math teacher or the classroom teacher, and talk about how can how can you how can we partner with you and, and do some professional development to help you um, kind of integrate integrate more so it's not so separate. We really want to work on this interdisciplinary thing, how things fit in together more than kind of everybody on their own island. I think it's a great idea, and I think that you've thought through a lot of the pieces. I would just absolutely love to hear what does it look like grade by grade. Let's uh, start with grade school kids. So Level Up KC comes in to the grade school. What happens? Um, so... Obviously, there's a big difference between what a five-year-old and what 14-year-old kid might do, like if you're talking about K through eight, or even, you know, like an 11-year-old, K through five. Um, so we kind of start with things like, we call it like kindy coding. Um, it's, it's a lot of stuff on um, Tinkercad, which is a 3D um, kind of... Um, it's, well, it's a CAD program. And so um, it's everything from identifying big or smaller to mouse, mouse work, which is huge for a five-year-old, the coordination there to kind of do all of that. Um, and then, you know, and of course, of course, we're talking about, we're also talking about internet safety and things like that. Those are the things that are really important um, no matter what. And that looks different by by grade also just like what's developmentally appropriate there but um so so all of that um but even at like our even our youngest kids are actually coding so meaning like we'll go to code.org and we'll talk about um how how to how to tell a computer what to do um and we use a lot a lot of block coding on the on the younger end um and then we do get into like things like javascript html css python as we get older so that um you know so that, that they're transferring that into more like command-based language versus versus block-based languages um uh, a typical class would look like come in like almost like circle time and so there's like about 20 minutes of direct instruction and then the kids go to um the computers and we bring in all the technology we bring in the laptops we bring in the 3d printers we bring in the projectors we bring in everything um and then we have the kids do paired programming which means that um there is a driver and a navigator so the driver is the one working the machine and the navigator is communicating to the driver what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and so they'll do one task like that and then they'll switch. Um, so what we see, I am like so amazed because as a math teacher in my classroom, I have struggled for 15 years how to get kids to communicate what they're thinking mathematically. But in our computer science work, with drivers and navigators, they are all of a sudden just naturally embedded in the task using communication to explain their thinking. And um, that communication is amazing. Even, even the logic that they're thinking is directly applicable to like my class. Um, explaining the steps and helping them understand that the computer needs every little step it does not 
draw any inferences at all. You have to tell it every little thing to do. And, you know, as someone who's teaching proofs and having to get kids to think that way in my geometry class, um, like those, those kids that are, that are used to kind of that, that programming mentality, that coding mentality, they're able to, to transfer that to a logical argument in proofs or in English or in social studies or whatever, making logical arguments, that's not something that's going to go away. So this is, you know, that kind of communication about what you're thinking is um, really, really important um, and, and cross-curricular. Like we need that everywhere. And it's just, it just happens naturally in that class in a way that I have to dig so much more in math. What's um, so that's like younger kids. Um, older kids, as they get older, um, they actually get into doing um, more of their uh, own kinds of um, projects. So we do have classes that are like focused on robotics, um, Arduino, uh, which is like um, electrical more, and then um, and things like that. But we um, also eventually want them to you know, think about like, what problems do you see? How do you think you could solve that using all the things that you've learned? Could you create something, um, you know, and, and eventually what we'd like to see is as we get more and more people um, from the community involved to have like panels of people looking at it, um, maybe even having an opportunity, excuse me, to um, um, produce some sort of uh, product um, uh, to even bring in revenue so that um, over time, like could our programs be almost self-funding? Like we, you know, somebody from the business world might say like, okay, this is what I need. I'm gonna get my work done really cheap by coming to some high schoolers. Can we um, work together to, to create that and then be able to produce it? Um, so that everybody, everybody kind of benefits. I That's would, our big vision. I would love that. That'd be like an old fashioned apprentice program where, you know, somebody yeah. goes to the local blacksmith and then learns how to do that kind of thing. Um, you know, or somebody works with the local elevator repairman or line operator and they learn their trade and then they can just sort of take off like a rocket from there. But you're also teaching them not just technical skills, but also creative skills. Um, what is yeah, a, and business skills too. And business skills. What is a, a neat problem that you've seen kids either solve or try to solve? Um, so I'm probably not the best person to ask about this because I the only thing that I do for Level Up STEM is I... I do, a, I do more of our principal meetings because I know a lot of the code words after being in education, so right. I kind of have that of it. And then I also do some of the summer camps. And so our summer camps are pretty, like, um, you know, they're really age kind of, um, you know, appropriate. But, like, just like I was mentioning before, like, seeing, seeing a kid who um, can design, even if we have kind of an outline uh, of what kind of game it is say it's a, um like a whack-a-mole game that's actually my favorite one is like the whack-a-mole game but that kids get to like they get to make it their own 
So they get to, maybe they don't want a whack-a-mole. Maybe they want to, maybe they want to pick um, an eggplant and they want to um, plant, plant an eggplant. Okay. Whatever. They get to make it what they want and, and kind of, um, you know, that's, that's really neat to see the kids, but within that own game, talking about like, if then statements using the logic and all of these like camps are say like six hours long. So they come in knowing absolutely nothing. And at the end of the day, they are writing lines of code with if then statements, you know, um, conditionals, um, they're looking at X, Y coordinates on their, on their screens, which is again, you know, great my eight-year-old using things like negative numbers like that's crazy you know what i mean like that's not something that they've seen in school yet but they can see they can see it on their um their computer the other thing that i really 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 love about coding that um i think also um transfers to all your other classes is this idea that um you will not code correctly the first time it will not happen Okay, there's no way that you can write more than a line or two of code before you make a mistake. Like it just doesn't happen. So debugging sounds like a really tedious thing and it is, it is sometimes. But this idea that like, I know I'm gonna make a mistake. I don't have to feel bad about that because I know I'm gonna do it. And to constantly just build that virtue of fortitude and um, that growth mindset too, to get um, like, I know that I'm going to make all these mistakes and each one of them is going to teach me something so that, um, that I can, I can get to where I want. Like all of those things are things that I absolutely love. That doesn't really answer your question. I do use, um, a lot of the electrical stuff in my, um, engineering class in, in high school. Um, okay, we'll get up, brush yourself off and move on. Um, and so actually that's really neat too, because, um, they, I mean, we do like not, not a lot, we do not a lot in my class. We do things like, um, make a blinking light to make an SOS signal, like real basic. But what's amazing is like, it'll take me, I, I do about a week of this in my, in my semester long course, um, in my high school juniors and seniors, but kids that have been with us in our, in our curriculum, do that in like fifth grade. So, you know, the amount that we can get kids to really understand if, if we work in their whole school um, as, as young kids is just like so much greater than, um, than what, what kids are just seeing right now. That's terrific. What did the students think of it? Like, how do they react to the whole idea? Oh, they absolutely love it. Um, they, it's kind of like, um, I mean, I know that this is, you, you and I agree that like our job as teachers is not to necessarily to be entertaining. Okay. However, kids love this. Like they are having so much fun, um, and they're doing hard, um, work in terms of like the skills that they're learning and, and how they're applying it and then how they're um, taking it and they're using it in another situation. Like all of those things are like really high level thinking skills that they're doing, but they don't, they're having so much fun and they're with, and they're with a friend and they're, and they're talking and they're doing all these things that they absolutely adore it. Um, the parents that we've had, um, 
are just they just gush over over what um what we do because um they like their kids come home and tell them about it so like for instance um our principal's kids were in my husband's class this year and they would tell him all the time like he, they would go home and say to their dad scoper rob came today and this is what we did and tuesdays are my favorite day because i get to be with scoper rob and when we had to be at distance learning he was like but can we still see so scoper rob and so um you know like that's awesome they, they're going home they're telling they're telling their parents about that particular child is a kindergartner. That's like a 20 minute class once a week that that kid looks forward to every week. So um, of course we love that we're seeing that with the kids, but then we love that they're going home and they're telling their parents about it. Um, it it's, it's so, you know, we want, we want communities to see that like, this is something that um, is really valuable not just, um, again, we're not just teaching them how to use something, but that it's really valuable and really that buy-in, um, why it's, why it's different than what we see in schools right now. That's really, really, really good. I'm just very impressed with the whole thing. Um, who do you say your market is right now? Right now, our market is Catholic schools. And the reason that it is Catholic schools is because every Catholic school is their own deciding body so we can talk to a principal the principal looks at their own budget talks to their individual school board and they can decide that they that they need it or they don't need it um again that's not our end vision our end vision is that really this can be something for like every kid should be able to receive um but but that's we can talk to the decision makers in Catholic schools and it's, it's not easy to get to that decision maker in, in bigger districts. Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, this year, my husband actually has been hired by um, an outside um, philanthropist for, for lack of a better word, um, to work at one of our Catholic schools. So this year he has his employees at one Catholic school um, actually, maybe two Catholic schools, and then he's going to be at another Catholic school. But what's great about that is that those um, those donors um, may be able to to do something larger than what we're able to do just at an individual school. Because I mean, you know, you know this um, teaching at a Catholic high school, um, all the schools, all the elementary schools. Um, and all the middle schools are, are doing something a little bit different. And so we can't, you know, we have 40 different feeder schools for kids coming to us. And we kind of have to expect that they know nothing. But if we did kind of have a coherent, um, you know, computer science education um, that starts at, at, at the lower levels, then we could, then we could bring that up. So, um, and, and be able to go farther than just, you know, the week in my class, it's really the same thing that we do in fifth grade um, level up STEM. But I imagine that taste of it makes people want to take, say, the summer class or take like a coding class. Uh, I mean, after all, everything has a computer and all computers are coded. And there's probably just an enormous shortage of coders in the first place. That's probably where the money is in our society. 
Sure. Um, and I do know like some people who like, you know, work from home creating apps and make a great living that can do that and be like almost like a full-time family in their home. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, that's ideal really. I mean, we just want to get the kids like the opportunity. We, we want to also kind of, um, minimize the, um, you know, any kind of, situation where they weren't exposed to it so like we want to minimize things like not enough girls in stem we don't we're not forcing kids to do stem but we don't want them to not choose it because they didn't have the opportunity to learn about it so we want to we want to equity equity is the word i'm looking for we don't want it to be um like the school that we're in right now is oh um has um, a pretty large minority population. And so like, we, we feel like, okay, it's not that it's, um, again, we're not forcing minorities to go into STEM fields, but we don't want them to not be there because they weren't exposed to it because they didn't have the opportunity to learn about it because their parent didn't pay for the after school camp, um, after school club or the summer camp. We want it to be something that um kids from all different backgrounds and all different races and genders can um can have the opportunity to learn and decide if that's something that they that they want for themselves that's great and to be really prepared we don't again we don't want where you grew up to be the reason you are or are not prepared for what's going to happen in 10 years because i don't know what's happening tomorrow so like right <laughs> yeah. right well i think that's why it's so important to be able to teach people to be creative and to think, and to be able to critically look at questions, which I taught English, that meant looking at two sides or three sides or seven sides of an issue. And I just feel like that's a skill that can really be sorely lacking because a lot of people want to just have a simple equation, just one plus one equals two. And uh, they would just prefer to do things that have already been done, but that's never what the future has been for the last 200 years. Yeah. There's just been a steady stream of inventions since 1820. Um, thank you, Thomas Edison. You know, like 19th century guy had like 2000 patents. You know, things just radically change. There's probably more difference between a modern car right now and a Model T from 100 years ago than there was from a Model T 100 years ago and a horse and buggy. I, you know, everything changes so very, very quickly. And here you're teaching people to be scientific and creative. I, I just hats off to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think that that's um, kind of, again, where my husband being an engineer was looking at and seeing like a huge deficit. And, and we see this in, in math, too, like kids that perform well, but they perform well because they memorize eight steps it's it's not the same as like really having an understanding that can can and, and understanding how things connect to each other um and so you know this idea that like stem of course is the huge buzzword like stem 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 but people aren't seeing how stem can be creative and and people aren't seeing how things are connected and then also that the e in stem is really some, is engineering and that's really something that like teachers don't have like we're not engineers so 
it's harder for us to have my husband who's an engineer come into schools and show us how the science and math are related and the technology are related in engineering excuse me in engineering that's just so much more than than what we see is happening in stem excuse me i interrupt the interview for a second to point out that leanne had to run and take care of some family trouble but then we came right back i don't know how many of your interviews get interrupted because <laughs> somebody needs to have a bottom wiped but <laughs> Okay, that's funny. That's pretty good, though. Uh, okay, so let's step back and look at the big picture a little bit, just in terms of your life, but then also in terms maybe of what society needs. When you were a kid, were you always interested in math and science, or are you kind of a Jane come lately? Um, the answer to that is no, and that God has a very good sense of humor. When I was in Algebra 1, I remember calling a friend on the phone and making fun of the contrived word problems in our book and saying to her literally, I cannot believe that anyone would want to be a math teacher. <laughs> so, um, and then I think maybe like when I was a sophomore in high school, I was in algebra two and I had a teacher who just really encouraged um, me in like as a as a girl in a math class, she um, she took a friend of mine and I to like a um, a conference for like girls in math or something and things like that. And then as a calculus um, student is where I really decided that's what I would want to do. Um, I always wanted to be a teacher, but I I didn't know. I actually was going back and forth between science and math, like in terms of where I wanted to um get my my degree um in, in missouri <clears throat> this is probably the wrong reason to choose this but in missouri to be a science teacher you have to be certified in biology chemistry and physics mm. and so um the the um the coursework is just there's a so much like you know, so I was like, well, I'll do math because that way I can, it's not as many credit hours or something. And then I hadn't decided that before I took calculus. And then when I took calculus, that really like sealed the deal. Cause again, it was my teacher. Like I just, um, loved, um, him so much. Um, but yeah, so, so no, I wasn't always like a math person, but I always wanted to be a teacher. And, um, I will say that I was a hard worker, but math also, um, made sense to me. So I wasn't, I know a lot of teachers are like, I really struggled in math. And that's why I wanted to become a math teacher because I felt like I could I identify with those kids that really struggle. That really wasn't why I went into it. I kind of went into it because like, well, I, I want to teach high school kids and I kind of like this. Um, and I'm okay at it. So I'll pick that. Yeah, good enough. And you've done a lot of good. And so um, it's just kind of neat how things come about the powerful influence of a adult that acts as a mentor and acts with kindness. It, it just really can't be overstated. That's just terrific. No, it can't be. And, 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 and you and I teaching where we teach, we, we get that. We know how important that relationship is. Um, so like to like, again, I teach students, I teach students. Like the math is sort of secondary. I teach, I teach students. It's about, it's about the relationship. 
That's what a very wise person told me early on is that, hey, you don't teach a particular subject, you teach students. Like you don't tell people, oh, I teach math, I teach students, which is just good. Um, yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like I seriously doubt any of my students, even in the classes that I am the, I am the best, like give them the most, you know, activities or whatever, you know, I seriously doubt in like 10 years, kids will look back and be like, Remember that one amazing lesson Mrs. Oaks taught us that one time? Mm, I doubt that's going to happen. They're going to remember the relationship, and they're going to remember things like Dordex and Turkey Bowl and stuff like that. Like, that's really important to them, and those are the things of the room. Not that the other things aren't important. They are, but, like, they're not going to – that's not what they're going to remember about my class. They're not going to remember – they're going to remember me and the relationship that I had with them. They're not necessarily going to remember like a specific lesson, even if they remember the content, they're not going to remember, you know, latch onto a lesson. I don't think I don't right. could be wrong. Well, I think you're kind of a champion of time management and I want to talk with you just a little bit about that. Uh, both you and your husband work outside the home. You're a teacher. He's an engineer. You have six kids. How do you possibly have time for level up? STEM KC? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I don't as much. I do all of my work with it either um, in the evenings, like sending emails, um, trying to market a little bit, which when you have your own business and you have to be your marketer, your marketing and your sales team, both, that's really hard. Um, but, you know, trying to do some of that um, sometimes in the evenings. And then, of course, it's all based around the school year. So it's all timing. Like, the, we, we would be laughed at right now if I tried to go to a principal and ask them to bring us in. Like, A, it's way too late to do that. But B, we have so many other things happening. Even if I had gone back in March, it would have been like, we don't even know what we're doing tomorrow. I can't tell you, you know. So there's, all, there's so much of that. Um, so mostly in the evenings, I'll do some of that. And then in the summers is when I teach. Um, I do work on my own skills some, and so there's some study there. But again, that's all kind of in the evenings usually. Um, my husband, um, the last several jobs he's gotten, he um, places he's worked for, he has negotiated um, kind of a part-time position so that he can get into schools um, and, and do that. So... Um, Last year, he was about 50-50 engineering and then teaching in schools, um, which is actually great for him because he kind of can still be learning about all the new things that's happening in engineering, but then also doing what we really have a passion for with kids. Um, and then, um, so he does he does more of that, that part. And he, he does more the working with, um, you know, with teachers and, and things like that for professional development. So, so yeah, a lot of it is that, is that, that, that is kind of a part-time, um, his engineering is kind of part-time right now. He's, he's gotten to that part point, but even before that he negotiated with, um, even when he was full-time, he would negotiate like, Hey, I want to go teach kids after school. And since it's in their best interest to kind of it, 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 engineering firms want to be seen as um, generous and um, providing a service that maybe was not available, things like that. So, so most of them have been really 
um, happy to work with my husband when he's doing like his after school clubs and things to help um, the kids. And then, you know, sometimes they'll sponsor a t-shirt or something too, so they get their names on it. Um, so there's, there's that, there's that part of it, but yeah, I mean, we have to be really creative with our time. Um, my husband, I think my husband is pretty brilliant and that sounds like totally, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to overly gush over him, but he like manages time in a way that like, I, I can't even fathom. So, um, yeah, so that's mostly him. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Just pull a rabbit out of your hat and you too can be a champion of time management. Okay, so yeah. how did you make that very first sale? Um, yeah, that was hard. So that was mostly me um, in the sense that, like, I would go to, like, we started kind of with Catholic schools because we knew we could kind of talk to the person who makes decisions. And um, and I would, I would um, first, I would go to, like, every single elementary school's website find out if they even had a technology teacher a lot of them don't i couldn't believe some of the places that didn't have him um and so then i would like call an email but like you don't want to be overly needy just like set up the appointment um sometimes they were people who um i had taught their child at st james and so then you know like i could kind of maybe get in in that way using those connections, um, which is really, really, we're finding more and more is so, so, so important, but like, we're more reluctant to, to kind of call on those. Like, that's hard for us to say, like, you know, like call in the favor or whatever. That's hard for us to do. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's too, maybe we're too prideful. We need a little bit of humility, but, um, yeah. So, um, so then making that first like principal pitch, to go in and explain to them why they need us to come in and then know that they might be so, so, so excited and it still might not happen for two years. That's just the nature of schools. It's not something that like they can decide. There's a lot of moving parts to get in. So I think the first thing we started with were things like after school clubs, because how easy is it for a teacher to say like or a principal to say I don't have to do anything you're just gonna show up and you can all I need to give you is a room yes that's all you need to give us is a room so um, so we started with that and and then that was great too because then the school wasn't funding it that was kids parents were, were providing so that was probably the first foot in the door and I had three or four principal meetings in that summer and we were able to get um, we were able to get clubs at like four different schools. Um, and then even if for whatever reason, if, if timing didn't work out right, or, um, you know, you know, like we didn't have a really full, um, club just to continue a relationship with those principals, um, to talk with them about what else do you need? Um, being able to be patient with the school that we actually, the first school that we actually were in, we talked to them in the summer of 18. So yeah, so then being patient, but like being patient and reminding them that we still exist, but not being pushy and not, you know, that's really hard to do. And then, um, so having those continual conversations with people and then, 
um, you know, giving them a number and knowing that they're going to balk on that number and, and try to, you know, try to be generous, but at the same time, um, realistic about, about what, you know, that this is an investment in the kids. So things like that. Um, all of those kinds of things, just, it takes just a lot, a lot, a lot of patience. And again, like once you miss a certain window, you know that you're not talking about the next school year. You're talking about two years. Right. Um, just, um, so being able to do that, but then also being flexible. So we had a school that we had been in for several years, um, with clubs. And then they said, we want to offer a second semester elective. Okay. We can start in January. Like, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of finding a way to be flexible and, um, yeah, and patient and, and th that's really hard. So I think like our first, so we were in school teaching every kid for the first time this last school year. Um, and I think we formed a really great relationship with, with that school. I think that they're really happy that they hired us and, um, um, so we're looking forward to being able to, to continue that. And then, um, yeah, so. Okay. So like, let's project ahead and I don't know if we want to go five years ahead or 10 years ahead or 20 years ahead, mm -hmm. but let's project ahead. What are your plans for the future? What would you like to for see level? Yeah. What would you like to see level of SimKC turn into? Yeah, what I would love it to turn into is a comprehensive curriculum for all all of our elementary schools, and then um, see. So my husband has been in elementary schools, but really, like, you don't need an engineer to be in elementary schools. You need an engineer to be in high schools so that then he would really run the high school programs. And eventually, kind of what we talked about is kind of have um, you know, kind of a entrepreneurial engineering course at like, say our school where we're actually, um, creating something, maybe even producing something at, at least for at a prototype level to, that we could bring business people in to perhaps either invest in or have the community come in and say, this is something that I need. How can we, how can you guys help us create that? Um, that would be like our big picture plan. Um, and I think a lot, I think we have some people who are excited about that. Um, but it really, it really requires us to have a large foundation for our elementary schools because you can't teach everything in a semester elective class. Like you can't teach all of STEM. At this point, there was another interruption. Thank you for your patience. And now back to the interview. So yeah, that's like our really big, our big vision. Um, eventually even um, partnering, like really when we really start thinking too, kind of how you mentioned that like apprenticeship program, we would love kids to be able to have like an emphasis on this if that's something that they choose so that they could come out of our high schools and be ready to be a technician at a place like Garmin or Black and Beach or whatever. Technicians do really well, and um, they don't necessarily need a four-year, they don't need a four-year degree, 
Um, they work alongside engineers and um, any engineer worth their salt will say that um, they're only as good as their technicians, that their technicians are, you know, maybe they're not designing, but they're executing um, testing and troubleshooting and all that stuff. And so um, how important technicians are. Um, so we, we would like to get to that point where we can, um, you know, um, have kids like even ready to do that. Uh, my husband is also on the engineering board at Benedictine. So um, nearer that would be something so easy just to offer a true engineering like 101 course that you can get um, dual enrollment with um, for high schoolers. And, and I know that there's like competition between our high schools, but we would love to say like, hey, whether you're at, at any of our high schools, uh, whether Catholic schools are really, can we do it even in the community? Anybody who wants to, to, to take this course for dual enrollment credit, could we, could we offer that? Um, so those are kinds of things. Some of those are sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of growth, a lot of vision that we have. Um, we're, not, we're not there yet, but um, we're hoping that it could, it could really be a benefit to the community um, for individual students and then also like whole groups of people. That's incredible. Well, let's step back and look at the United States. Um, I have a list of the top 162 majors in order of supply and demand. You know, what pays the most, which jobs are, are needed, that kind of thing, return on investment when you go to college. I, I think the top 20 to 30, most of those are actually in STEM. So this makes me want to ask you, should more people be going into math, science, technology, engineering? Um, so that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I think that everybody should have enough experience in those areas that they can make, they can make a, a, a real choice. Um, I do not think if you do not like it, you should not do it. Like, I believe that like I, my kids all the time. So we usually have in my engineering class, we usually have panels of, of speakers that come in and the kids will sometimes ask things like, well, if I'm, if I'm pretty good at math and science and should I just go ahead and like be an engineer? Like, should I just, should I just do that? Cause I know it's in demand. I know I can get a job and things like that. And then overwhelmingly the people will say no. No, it is way too hard for something that you don't love. Like, and, and while it's really, um, it's, it's well-paying in the, in terms of like, you can pretty much count on that salary. It's not so well-paying, you know, nobody, there's not a lot of millionaire engineers, like, like, you know, nobody's making millions of dollars a year as an engineer. Um, so, um, you know, so it's not, it's, I guess there's some, I don't even know what job to do that, but anyway, um, it is super in demand and yes, you will get a job, but if you don't love it, like it's not, you, you shouldn't do something that you don't love. But, um, but that being said, like, we want to be sure that like everybody has enough exposure to do it, to it, to know that it, um, that they could do it if they wanted to. And I think, I think, kind of what you said before, we have this false dichotomy about like, well, you're a creative person or you're a math person. And that's totally 
uh, that's false. That is, that's not one or the other. Um, and I think we can really see that in, in STEM because um, with, with what we're doing, um, you know, kids might love the graphic part and realize, wow, I can use a computer to do so many of these neat things. I can, I can design buildings with a computer. I can, you know, things like that, um, that maybe they didn't realize before. That, um, that that creative thing that they really loved was really a STEM thing. And so being able to, um, you know, expose kids to that, not just as an elective because they thought they might like engineering or whatever, like when they take my class, I think I might want to be an engineer. Or I think I might need an extra half credit in my schedule, you know, but like give every kid an opportunity to experience something so they know if it's what they want to do. But no, I don't think... I mean, do we need people in STEM? Yes. Do we need to say you're going to do this? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think kids need to have their, um, their, you know, they need to do something that they really love. And I, we see that a lot as like women in STEM, the whole push. And I'm going to be a little controversial here, Tim, I think. Um, but I don't think the reason that there aren't women in a lot of STEM fields, I don't think that's because people are telling them they can't do STEM. I think they're not in STEM fields because when they get into it, they're like, wow, this is not interesting. I'm not working with enough people or whatever it is. Um, you know, we, we tend to be a little bit more relationship oriented. And so um, especially if you look at like, Electrical engineering, it's like 10% um, to 20% female, not a lot. Um, I don't think that's because people are saying like, oh, you're a girl, you can't be an electrical engineer. I think that's because like, it's just not as much relational as some of the other fields. But then you look at like chemical engineering and it's about 50-50. Okay, well, why is that? It's not because somebody was like, oh, women should be chemical engineers. No, I think it's because something about it appealed to, to our femininity a little bit more than, than something else. So, um, do what you want, you know, do what you want. Yeah. You're going to have lots of opportunities, but I don't think that we should like force people to go into a certain, um, field. You know, if you want to be humanities, you, you go for it. Like if that's what you really love, I don't know what job you're going to want. You're going to get, you're going to be well-rounded. I know that about you. So you'll find something that'll be great. Okay. Okay. Kind of what I'm hearing is, is let's not force anybody to do anything. Let's not make anybody do anything. Let's not twist people's arms. Uh, let's not threaten to shove them off of tall buildings to get them into a particular field. Uh, let's just encourage people and present options to them and exposure, and then they can make a more informed decision for themselves. Yeah, I mean, okay, I say that at the same time I say I need every kid to be exposed to it as a kid. Um, but but I think you, you can see, you know, um, you know, once you get into high school, I think, I think that kids... Um, can they they know what they like and what they don't like by then um and i don't know that kids necessarily know that in elementary school but as as you know i think back to my calculus experience and i would i would i haven't looked at the demographics in our high school in our calc um 
classes at our school, but I would suspect it's probably pretty 50-50 boys and girls. Um, but if you ask them, more of the boys are going into STEM fields than girls. Is that because we, you know, said, like, told them to do that? I don't know. I think it's because they want to go into English or they want to go, they want to do something very verbose, you know, because <laughs> we are like that sometimes, or they want to do something really relational. They want to go into medicine because they want to work with people or, or whatever the thing is They're, They want to go into these like, you know, really great fields, but they don't necessarily want to be an engineer. And I think it's, I don't think we, I think it's important to say, like, if you're in calculus, you should at least think about the possibility of being an engineer. But if they think about it and they're like, yeah, that doesn't sound fun to me, then, then I don't think we should say like, wow, we need more women in STEM. So, you know, go ahead and do that. Well, we couldn't force them to do that in a democracy anyway. I mean, uh, we don't want to get too political. <laughs> uh, well, if, I mean, if, if we just lived in a dictatorship, I don't know, if we lived in North Korea, I bet they could create all the engineers they feel like creating. Yeah. But, and then they'd have to worry about, like, if I didn't pass my class, what would happen to me? Bad things, know. possibly. Well, yeah. let me ask about the two top countries in the world. I don't know if you're too familiar with the stories, but according to various measures of who comes out on top, Educationally, I read a wonderful book called The Smartest Kids in the World by Amanda Ripley. She's a journalist, and she went to all kinds of different places and looked at test scores and what they do. Well, it turned out that tied for number one was South Korea and Finland, and they couldn't be more opposite from each other in many respects, but they are both tied for number one. Now, in South Korea, kids spend a lot more days in school than American kids do, and the school day is longer. And then with after-school tutoring sessions, there are kids over there who are literally working 16 to 18 hours a day for school. Uh, the, the parents think of it as an arms race, that you're in a race with the other kids. And uh, like some arms races, it appears to be ending in, in you know, just total war. Um, so... I'm just kind of curious, do you think we should opt for any portion of the South Korean solution? I just presented the negatives, they spent so much time, but the positive is they're number one. Um, so so I, I, I was not familiar with all that you um, are talking about. I did, I did read a little bit about it um, with what you sent me. Um, so... I, I would say that I leaned more towards Finland that um, I yeah that um, kids need to be kids and allowing them to um, be a kid and have time to be creative on their own even if they're building swords out of Legos okay like, like my kids build a lot of swords out of Legos and then they ask things like where are the other weapons and people think I'm crazy um, but um, you know, being able to create something, even if at home with toys, uh, playing with siblings, um, being a part of the home. Like, I feel like this is the education, uh, the education of a large family, the school of the large family, the education in the home, um, 
you know, all of those things. I'm not, I don't know that I'm sure South Korea is doing that too, but um, those kinds of things, they probably have a class for creating, you know, a meal plan rather than having their mom teach them how to do it. But um, I, I feel like, like those things being a kid um, allows them to have that creativity um, to be able to be able to do like things that, that we're talking about, like how to solve big problems. Um, now, not to say that South Korean people in South Korea are very um, innovative. I mean, if, with the technology, especially there's lots of stuff that comes out of South Korea. Um, but yeah, I would say I probably lean more towards Finland. With the other thing with Finland is like, so we do have some charter schools here in the States that have a kind of similar model where they go like a really shortened day, like maybe five or six hours. And then like they're done at like one or two in the afternoon. So then, yeah, the, the families can go do their, um, you know, their music lessons or their gymnastics or their sports or whatever, and then still have a lot of family time. See, I think that's like, for me, we don't do as many of the activities, but a lot of that is because that's the expense of our family time and we're not willing to give that up. But if, but if it happened in a way um, you know, that could be built in kind of to still have family time. It would be great. I know that there are other countries that will have like once a week, they'll have like everybody in the country only works a half day. Mm. So everybody's done at noon on Wednesdays. And so then, then you have, again, you have like that family time. That's, that's really important. Um, that's happening. I mean, I think, I think that like, to me, everything in society can be, can be cured by, um, not having broken families. Oh, for sure. Like most everything. And so, um, but we do so many things now that contribute to, I mean, everything from the environment, like, look, if you have to pay for two houses, you know, two, two medical bills two I mean, two, um, you know, utility bills, two sets of, you know, mortgages, whatever. So, so that's economic, that's, um, that's environmental. Like it's a huge environmental impact to have everybody have to have every family be in two houses. That's, that's crazy. And then, you know, everything from, you know, mental health of the kids, you know, eating together as a family, which we know is like really important to kids, you know, mental health, but also their, their success. Um, all of those things, the break, the breakdown of the family is really the, um, to me, that's like, so, so if we could do something systemic to, and even in our school day or whatever, to create opportunities where, where kids were spending time with family, um, that would be, you know, again, but, but we have to like really believe that those change, like people have to believe that that's really important. People have to believe that it's really important. They have to make sacrifices. Businesses would have to make sacrifices. Um, you know, schools would have to make sacrifices. Um, people would have to make sacrifices to make, to make real change. Um, I mean, and, and people are unwilling to do that. I mean, I see that like some of the things that, you know, here I live in a really great school district, a really great school district. Our public school system here is amazing. But like if we were doing something that would change the amount of money they get, they would be upset, even if it meant that there could be equity for more kids. Right? Like right. you might have to make a sacrifice in order for this kid over here to have a better opportunity. And you're not willing to do that. You're not. 
because you, because you know what you have is good. And so like, like we have to decide really as, as, as a whole country. And, but that's, I don't see that ever happening because we'd have to do it as a country and, and it would be a very, we could do your way would be very Republican, right? Right. Very, everybody isn't, is in charge of their own thing or you don't do what that way, or you'd have to go the extreme other where we're going to do this massive thing. That's going to have to be government run. Like a Soviet style communism. Well, yes and no. The countries that you're talking about, okay, aside from Finland, but if you look at people, maybe that they're not number one, they all have national education programs. Like France, you can go in a math classroom in France on any given day and everybody in geometry is learning the same material on any given day. So like you you have to have it when I don't, it has to be one way or the other. Now maybe if we did like your way, eventually, it would be more standardized because if, if teachers were really in charge, you know, and they could really make educational decisions, then eventually I, I think it would, it would improve. Um, but then you also would have to somehow, you know, we know that there are people, of course, not in our building, but there are, there are teachers that exist that, that believe certain kids can do certain things and other kids can't do other things. And, and so you, if you're really putting, um, the, the onus on the teacher and the teacher has all, you know, the authority to, to make those decisions and how do you prevent someone from writing my kid off because she has a disability or how do you prevent them from, you know, so it's lots of problems. Yeah. Well, I guess we're probably not going to solve them today. This is my favorite question. So just let me end with my favorite question. Um, let's fast forward to you being a hundred years old, sitting on the front porch of your house with your husband holding your hand and you are surrounded by children and grandchildren, and you are looking back on Level Up STEM KC. So this is a long time from now, many decades from now. What do you hope that Level Up STEM KC has accomplished for hundreds, possibly thousands of kids? So the first thing is, I would want that. I would be just really proud that that those kids had um, had a choice, really, to to do what they they wanted to do, whether that was in STEM or not. I'm not really sure if we don't have exposure that we have a choice. So I'd be really glad that I did something that would make them have a choice, that would give them the ability to discern themselves. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is, like, I would know in, 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 in my soul, I would know that no matter what they chose, no matter what they discerned was, was the right path for them, I would know that they, that it changed them somehow, that it changed the way they thought, or it allowed them to communicate what they thought, or it gave them just an, you know, an opportunity to create, even if that's not what they chose. Like I, I would know that it, 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 it 
it changed them somehow that even if they couldn't say it, you know, you make that little change as a kindergartner. And how does that change your whole life? Like the ability to communicate as a five-year-old, how does that change all your whole education, your relationships? How does it change everything? And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's not about, it would never be for us about like money or notoriety or, you know, it would just really be about like, you know, that humbling understanding that like I was that, that drop that might've made a ripple and, and who knows and who knows what, and, and it wouldn't even be where they could identify what it was. I love this idea of like being able in education, we have to do this. We do and we disappear. We don't, we do and we disappear and we don't know how we, that, that seed is going to grow. We have no idea. And so being, being okay with not being able to see um, the direct fruit of my labor, being okay with that, but then being also to know that like we did everything that we could to to do what what we believed in to help kids. That's a beautiful note to end on. Leanne, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, Tim, thanks so much. And thanks for all your patience with our <laughs> distractions. Dogs and kids, that's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> all right, <laughs> goodbye. Hey, and here is one of the good outtakes that I cut. Oh, good. Okay, go tell go tell the boys. What are you What are you gonna play with right now? Um. I'm sure the very loudest thing that we have. <laughs> okay, that's a great toy for downstairs because we don't want Zora to eat them. Oh, it's the flag. Yeah. Why don't you take those downstairs and play with them? And you can play with them with your puppets, too. No. You can make your puppets do that. There's a lot of more. Yeah. Go use those with your puppets. Can you do that? Well, I bet your puppets want to play golf. Don't you think? This. This. When the, when the flag stops. You have to go. Okay. When the ten, when the ten starts. Okay. Um, I think you might need to use the bathroom. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that doesn't necessarily answer your question about like a specific problem but that mom, kids create. Sort of. No, right now. Um, sort of. Okay, sort of. Thank you again for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. Next episode will be in a few days.